Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull. Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hi, I'm Tom. And I'm Lorenzo, and we host the Pop Style Opinion Fest. That's right. As authors, bloggers, and critics, we love dishing out our fabulous commentary. And now, we're bringing it to the podcast world. We're rendering judgment on the worlds of celebrity, pop culture, and fashion. Reviewing everything from the red carpet to the runway. To film and TV shows, and pretty much anything else that catches our eye or piques our interest. So strap yourselves in for some hardcore opinionating darlings. Tom and Lorenzo's Pop Style Opinion Fest. Subscribe now on ApplePodcastRadio.com or wherever you get your shows. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Off the Beat with Brett Jensen. And in this week's podcast, we're going to talk about one reason why so many people just loathe the media. Admittedly, we do seem like a lot of parasites at times. And so it's easy to understand why so many people would distrust us and why so many people hate us. But I'm going to take you behind the scenes a little bit and tell you some of the things that we have to do, even though we don't want to do them. You may think, well, then just don't do them. But I wish it were that simple. And it's not. We're also going to talk to Clarence Henderson. He's a civil rights leader. And you may not know his name, but you know his actions. He's one of the original people that sat down at that lunch counter in Greensboro at Woolworths in 1960 that refused to get up until they were served. It's one of the more iconic moments in the history of civil rights. Again, you may not know his name, but you definitely know him and the other's actions. And then in the final part, we're going to talk about all the things that you can do to make your significant other happy when it comes to holidays or anniversaries. And it's just such a minimal effort on your part. They are guaranteed fail-proof things that will make him or her happy, either on Valentine's Day or Christmas or anniversaries or birthdays. It's definitely something you're going to want to listen to. But first, let's get started on Off the Beat. There's nothing worse than watching on TV and seeing reporters trying to talk to people in the middle of a tragedy. It just looks bad. And so many times you have the people go, why do they do that? Do they not care what those people are going through? Unfortunately, I've had to be that reporter where you have to reach out and try to get someone in the middle of a tragedy to speak to you on the record. And it sucks. Whether they're dealing with a death in the family or some other kind of tragedy, it sucks to have to sit there and try to get people to speak. And I've had to do that. I was in my 20s living in Wilmington, North Carolina. I was working part-time for the newspaper there. And on one of my very first assignments, I had to go cover a high school basketball game. It was in Brunswick County, about 15 miles south of where Wilmington is. I get to the gym, and it's completely empty. There's no cars there. Everything is just desolate. And I start thinking to myself, oh, my God, I went to the wrong place. Holy crap. Like one of my very first assignments, and I went to the wrong high school to watch this basketball game. And I'm freaking out. And I walk inside, and there's just a janitor there. The lights are on, and he's sweeping. And I go up to him, and I said, hey, was there supposed to be a game here today, or what happened? He said, yeah. He said, during one of the JV games, one of the JV cheerleaders collapsed and was taken to the hospital. So I asked him, well, do you know what hospital? He said, yeah, they went to the hospital over there. And it's the main hospital in Brunswick County. So I called the desk and I said, hey, look, everything has been canceled. I'm going to head to the hospital. Apparently, they canceled all the games after this girl collapsed while cheering on the sidelines during the basketball game. 
So I get to the hospital and obviously I don't know anyone there. I go to the waiting room in the ER section and you can hear people talking about certain things. So you sort of start kind of figuring out whether or not they are part of that girl's family. I was there for a couple hours, didn't say anything to anybody, just watched and listened. It came out that the girl had died of a heart attack, a 16-year-old girl. I believe she was 16. Just absolutely awful, awful news. Well, unfortunately, you have to try to get a comment from the family, and it sucks. The family's grieving. They don't know what's going on. They're in shock. They're mourning, and you have to be that guy or that person to say, hey, can I speak to you real quick? The parents weren't speaking, and so I saw the grandmother, and I went up to the grandmother, I offered her my condolences, and I said, look, I am so sorry to have to do this. This is the last thing in the world that I ever want to do. This is the last thing in the world I'd ever want done to me. But I need to ask you about your granddaughter. Is there anything you'd like to say or like the world to know about your granddaughter? And so she gave me a brief comment about her now deceased granddaughter. I got the quotes, went back to the newspaper, and wrote the story that was across the top of the front page. Again, it sucked. Just recently, I had to ask a mother if she wanted to speak after her son had just been charged with killing another student at a high school. Her son is 16 years old, but I walked with her as she left the courtroom and I said, is there anything you'd like to say and get out there about your son? Again, I know it sucks. And this is why one of the reasons why so many people hate the media. I get it. I do. I've had to call family members who had a son shot or call family members who had someone fall off the side of a cliff while hiking. And every single time I start the same way because it is 100% true. I tell them, I am so sorry to have to do this. I don't want to do this. I wish I didn't have to do this, but I just have to ask you, is there anything you'd like for people to know? But I always tell them it is the last thing in the world that I ever want to do. And it is. I hate it. I feel awkward and it sucks because I know I wouldn't want somebody in my face doing the exact same thing. So I get why the people dislike the media so much when they see this on TV. I totally understand. But I hope you understand, coming from our perspective, we really don't have a choice in that. Because if you don't want to do it, your bosses will say, well, have you tried to reach out to the family? And if you say no, they're going to tell you to do so. And if they don't want to talk, I don't push them. I was like, okay, great. And I thank them for their time. And then I move on. It's one of the crappier parts of the job. But maybe you'll understand just a little bit more on why we have to do it. May not approve, but at least maybe you'll understand. All right, coming up next, we talk to Clarence Henderson. He's a civil rights leader and one of the original people that sat at the Greensboro counter in 1960 at the Woolworths. It's truly an amazing interview. We'll take you behind the scenes of that iconic day in the history of the civil rights in America up next. You're listening to Off the Beat with Brett Jensen. All right, welcome back to Off the Beat with Brett Jensen. And joining us now is Clarence Henderson. He's one of the original people that sat down at that Greensboro Woolworths lunch counter in 1960, one of the most iconic civil rights moments in the history of this country. He's one of the few remaining that's still alive, and it's a deep privilege to have him joining us here today. What were your parents thinking about when you joined the second day? Did they know during while it was happening, or did they find out later that night or the next day? Or What was their reaction to what you were doing? They found out later when um, they saw it in the newspaper. Uh, they had no idea because I was uh, on campus, uh, uh, you know, that day. It was class, taking classes that day, but uh, during that time, I didn't have a class, and so that's when I went up. Uh, my parents uh, always supported anything that I did that they thought was justifiable, justified, so... Uh, they did not uh, disapprove of it at all. At least they didn't uh, 
uh, addressing and disapproval. Can you describe some of the things that were going on while you sat at the counter? It wasn't just sitting there all day reading a newspaper and talking to your friends. What was the atmosphere like, and what were some of the things that were going on while you sat there? Well, I think that um, they were caught somewhat by surprise in that uh, they had no idea what had begun and had no idea that it would uh, continue to last, but it was... uh, the atmosphere was, uh, it, it's, you could almost feel like, uh, feel the atmosphere of uh, unfriendliness there, but um, we continued to sit there, and um, what was decided that we, it would be a peaceful movement that we would not react to anything that was done, and that's why it became very successful, and that uh, we were determined to uh, see the thing through, and that's what we did. I mean, there were some incidents uh all throughout, but uh, uh, one of the great things about it uh, was that uh, there was nobody injured. You know, people went to jail. Um, KKK came in, uh, bum threat. Uh, but through all of that, uh, it was just a determined group of people that had said it's, it's enough. And there was one of the persons behind the counter that uh, worked there and asked us, why didn't we get up? Because uh, uh, we were going to cause him to lose his job. Uh, but other than that, we had just we were just determined because we had dealt with this situation for so long. See, Jim Law Jim Crow was a law at that particular point in time, and uh, it was a law that was supposed to be adhered to. But we had uh, gone against the framework of that law, uh, a state law, if you will. But uh, the federal law said that when you know they put in those uh, the amendments said that we were all the same. But uh, they came up with these blue, uh, which called black codes, and that's what started it. Talking with Clarence Henderson, one of the original members that sat down at the Woolworths in February of 1960 in Greensboro, one of the most iconic civil rights movements in American history. And I was just talking to someone earlier, and I think maybe one reason that people don't know all the names like Rosa Parks or whatever right off the top of their head is because there were so many of you, you know, initially. It wasn't just one person that did this. It was a collective group. After all this happened... What was life like for you in and around Greensboro, whether it's on campus or with your friends, uh, in the white community and then in the black community? Were you a celebrity or were you hated? What was life like immediately after all this? Well, I liken myself to be the unknown freedom fighter in that on the first day you had those uh, original four guys, and on the second day you had two of the original guys, and myself and a guy by the name of Billy Smith, but when they posted it in the newspaper, they posted the uh, original four guys, and it was, I can't remember how long it was uh, before they changed the names, and a lot of people that I knew, my family members, became upset, but it didn't bother me because I knew I was there, and I did not do it for what it has become. I did it because it was time to make a change because uh, the United States is only as strong as we stay united, uh, and we still have that challenge today. I'm curious. There's a couple of things that I'm very interested on what the atmosphere was like afterwards. What was it like with the people behind the counter, the servers? What would they do when you guys would just sit there? Like, did some of them actually want to take your order? Were they just freaked out that you were sitting there? Like, what was their reactions throughout the day as you guys sat at the counter? Uh, They ignored us. You know, you heard of the Invisible Man. I think somebody wrote a book called Invisible Man. It was like we did not exist like they saw past us. So it was one of those situations where um, we were just just like we were not sitting there. 
Uh, and as far as um, what happened uh, uh, afterwards, you know, during that time, basically we had segregated neighbor neighborhoods, so uh, we did not uh, come in contact uh, with a lot of whites up to the point in time, except downtown at the uh, Woolworths. It, it, the atmosphere uh, became tense in that on one side, the side where the Woolworths was, there was a side that was favorable, and on the other side of the street, opposite side, there were those that were unfavorable. So at one point in time, it was difficult to drive down Elm Street because there was such a large crowd there. But still, you know, it remained peaceful, peaceful, a lot of yelling and calling names and all those kind of things. But uh, I guess it was by the grace of God that uh, nothing that, that did break out. And we're talking 1960 Greensboro. I assume that there were separate bathrooms and separate water fountains, uh, even in a Woolworths and all throughout Greensboro. Is that accurate? Oh, yes. Uh, as a child growing up, I used to go in Woolworths with my mother and go downstairs and see two bathrooms, one saying colored and one saying white, and see two water fountains, one saying colored and one saying white, and wonder what the difference was as far as the water was concerned because it looked the same. Uh, and when you went upstairs, every counter or place that you, uh, there was a transaction, everybody was treated the same except at the lunch counter. Uh, at the lunch counter for blacks, if they were going to receive any food, they had to go to the back where they would take orders and, and orders would have to be to go. And we were paying the same price as them. So it was a public facility uh, for business to be transacted. But uh, uh, it was called, you know, like separate but equal. And my, uh, as I reflected, you know, if it's separate, if it's equal, why should it be separate? And then uh, it wasn't too long after... I said that counted. I, I left uh, Greensboro and, and uh, went to New York. Uh, I was sort of like Jonah and the uh, fish trying to get away from that situation. But God has already always directed me back here. One of the things that I reflect on is that it was by divine design that I said that lunch counter. It was not by accident because when I was born, my father named me after his best friend, who was the person he did tenant farming for. And obviously the guy was white, and so he named me after this guy that was white, and that set the tone for me to begin to bridge the gap between the races. Talk with Clarence yeah. Henderson, one of the original people that sat down in February of 1960 at the Woolworths counter in Greensboro. Clarence, I, I'm curious, you know, for a lot of people that are in power today and a lot of the people that are even 50 years old can't imagine what life was like back then in terms of segregated schools, segregated water fountains, segregated uh, bathrooms, even into the late 60s like you're talking about, and I believe even up until like 1970 in a lot of places here in North Carolina. Do you sit there and try to talk to people and describe what life was like back then, and are they able to grasp what you're talking about? Most people are. Uh, unfortunately, um, in America, a lot of our history has been erased and been replaced by uh, broadening the base of what's, what civil rights movements are. And so it's very difficult uh, for people to comprehend. But I do go across America speaking a unified message in reference to uh, how much things have changed from then to now. Because, see, again, as I said before, there was a law on the books that said that Jim Crow was uh, legal. That's when I mean, we picked Woolworths. But Woolworths was picked because it was a change, was changed stores, and we were we were hopeful that it would, would spread throughout uh, all their stores, and it did all up and down all uh, south, southeast and even in New York. Even though it was integrated there, they took part in it also. And then 
there were a, a few uh, whites that participated in it from like uh, Women's College, which is now UNCG, Guilford uh, College, and uh, um, Greensboro College. And so it was a, uh, the true story uh, most most of the time is not told in reference to who did what, because if it would have been just us four guys, and it's very admirable and courageous what they did, but the, the movement would not have taken place had it not been that uh, they got other people to join. Because at one point in time, I've seen as many as, as uh, uh, I think it was about 500 people crammed into that store where you could hardly move. How far, and I know we've come a long way since then, how, far, how much farther do we need to go as a society? We need to realize that there is a segment of our population that uh, thrives off of uh, separation and uh, creating dissension by bringing up something that no longer is. If, if me personally, if I were to list the top 25 uh, problems in America, racism would not be uh, in the top 25 because it nobody's standing over anybody's back telling them what they can and cannot do. It's whether or not you uh, understand what the, the laws of the land say and that we are all equal. And it's in that second sense of the uh, of the Declaration of Independence, they wrote that down, and there's always something that we should live by, and that is we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they have been endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so no man, no entity, no person, no organization has the authority to take away those rights, but when you don't recognize what rights you have, you face a challenge of... When I was a kid growing up and all the way to then, um, until I became an adult, well, um, you would hear a name calling, all kinds of things, just simply walking down the street. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when they say that um, it just happens in places like North Carolina, I lived in Maryland and I lived in Ohio, walking down the street uh, since I've been a, a man and have been called that N-word. And so when I hear people of uh, color trying to take that word and says empowered. You cannot empower that word. It's a total embarrassment for us to take that word in as it's something that it's not a, a word that causes distaste and it's not a, a racist word. All right. All our thanks to Clarence Henderson for joining us. Again, deeply honored that he would take the time to sit down and talk with us. All right. Coming up next is a fail-proof way to make your significant other happy during the holidays or on an anniversary or a birthday or Valentine's Day. It's something that's very important, but oh so simple. You'll definitely want to listen to it next here on Off the Beat with Brent Jensen. Welcome back to Off the Beat with Brett Jensen. In a few times a year, each person is responsible for making their significant other happy, be it on their birthday, your anniversary, Valentine's Day, Christmas, whatever. But there are a lot of simple things that you can do where you don't have to put much time or effort into it. And I promise you, they'll still be very, very happy. If you're a guy trying to make your wife or your significant other happy, all you have to do is this. Cook her dinner. That's it. Put in the effort. Maybe leave work a little bit early so when she gets home, dinner's already prepared, it's already ready to go, and she's going to be like, what? What's going on? Like, how did this happen? Why are you doing this? Say, oh, I just wanted to do something special for you. Costs no money, and it's the thought, putting in a little effort. But maybe you're one of those people that do most of the cooking anyway. Well, that's fine too. What's her favorite restaurant? What's her favorite meal at that restaurant? Get it to go. Pick it up. 
All you got to do is say, honey, I got the dinner tonight. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Call it in. Go there. Pick it up. Take it to your house. Set it out on a nice plate for her. Sit down and eat at the kitchen table. You can never, ever go wrong by getting her her favorite meal at her favorite restaurant. And the same thing goes for guys. You can never go wrong by getting him his favorite meal at his favorite restaurant. And besides, if you're used to cooking, it means you don't have to do any cooking for the night. Pretty simple. Women, I will tell you this. Do not offer sex to guys as a gift. Just don't. Whether it's Christmas, holidays, Valentine's Day, it doesn't matter. Don't make that your gift. Like, oh, look, I bought this new negligee and this new lingerie. No. I got news for you. He expects sex anyway on his birthday or on your anniversary. Offering it as the present is just super, super lame. I don't even care if video cameras are involved. It's lame. Put a little effort into it because, again, he's already expecting sex. Why would you giving him sex make it any more special? Again, he's already expecting it. Guys, here's another tip for you. If you buy her flowers, which is totally fine, take them to her work yourself. Surprise her at work. Take her out to lunch and give her flowers. And then still do the dinner thing, whether you cook or whether you bring home her favorite meal from her favorite restaurant. She'll be blown away, and it's simple, and it's no effort whatsoever. Guys, one of my favorite things to get women and I'm not getting paid to say this, is getting her Sherry's berries. Chocolate-covered strawberries, I'm telling you, they will lose their mind. They're so good. They're far better than a box of chocolates. I give you my solemn word. And they're not expensive. As a matter of fact, you can get a dozen relatively cheap. You buy six, and then they'll offer you six more for a special price. You get that. Now they got a dozen Sherry's berries, chocolate-dipped strawberries. They will absolutely love them. I promise you. I absolutely promise you that's the case. Also, women, please don't do the tie thing. Ugh, it is so awful in 1950s. Just stop. Stop with the tie. Don't get me socks. Don't get me underwear. No. Do something nice for me. Put some effort into it that doesn't involve you wearing a negligee. Seriously, like cooking his favorite meal or taking him to his favorite restaurant or picking up food from his favorite restaurant. You can pretty much do the exact same thing as the guy would do for you. It's all simple, it's all inexpensive, and it's all thought-worthy, which is what they'll appreciate the most. So let's recap on this. Guys, if you're going to buy flowers, take it to her work yourself. Then take her to lunch. At night, either leave work early and cook dinner for her, or pick up her favorite food from her favorite restaurant and surprise her that way. There's also the Sherry's Berries, and you cannot go wrong with that. Women, do not offer sex as a gift. It's lame. And again, he's already expecting sex if it's his special day. You can also do the same thing food-wise by cooking his favorite meal, or if you don't want to cook, hey, even better, go by and pick up his favorite food from his favorite restaurant. As guys, we're pretty simplistic when it comes to receiving gifts. Just a little thought, just a little effort. It doesn't have to be anything monumental, but I promise you, if you just do one of those few things, they will be extremely grateful, and then you'll have great sex at the end of the night. All right, that wraps up this podcast. I appreciate everyone joining us this week, and we look forward to having you join us again next week on another edition of Off the Beat with Brett Jensen. She's the star of reality TV's Vanderpump Rules. I'm Stassi Schroeder. And she's got lots to say on her new on-demand podcast. Straight up with Stassi. I talk about pop culture, reality TV, celeb gossip, relationships, and a little bit about myself. Okay, a lot. <laughs> Listen to Stassi on your schedule. I'm answering your emails and your questions. I want to give my opinion on everything. Straight up with Stassi. That's what I do best. Judge. <laughs> Download and subscribe at the new radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.